Welcome to Healthcare and Hire, a podcast for healthcare professionals and aspiring healthcare executives looking for information, association, and inspiration from higher-level leaders across the healthcare industry. I'm Iqbal Acha, career consultant, healthcare recruiter, and registered pharmacist. Every week, I sit down to interview healthcare executives, clinical leaders, medical entrepreneurs, and industry experts to learn how they got to where they are today, what they see as the future of healthcare, and what they're doing to make healthcare more accessible, affordable, and effective. Let's find out more about today's guest. Dr. Priti Patel is the Vice President of Physician Practice Administration and Management at National Vision. She also serves as President and CEO of First Sight Vision Services, a wholly owned subsidiary of National Vision. Dr. Patel oversees quality assurance, administrative compliance, and is the key liaison for all independent optometric and medical practices. Prior to joining National Vision, She was responsible for leading Walmart's U.S. professional affairs and business relationships with over 3,000 optometrists. Dr. Patel received her Doctor of Optometry degree from Nova Southeastern College of Optometry and her Bachelor's of Science degree from the University of Alabama. Hello, Dr. Patel. Welcome to the Healthcare and Hire podcast. Hi, how are you? Well, nice to see you. I'm doing fantastic. It's nice to see you too. It's been a while since we've connected. I'm so glad that you said yes to being on the show and sharing with my listeners all about the wonderful things that you and National Vision are doing and really giving us a chance just to catch up as well. So very excited to have you on the show today and great, very eager to hear all the great things that you have to share. Ruthie, you know, there's a lot of people that are probably listening to the show today that are familiar with you. Some may be familiar with me. Some may be unfamiliar to both of us. Why don't we take this opportunity and have you formally introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are, what your role is, and how do you help take healthcare to a higher level? Sure. So I am uh, the president of a specialty healthcare plan in California. And uh, we're based in Southern California, and we provide healthcare benefits for Californians. I'm also responsible for all of the clinical administration for National Vision for our doctor network. And so what that means is my team is responsible for contracting doctors, credentialing, and the entire quality assurance program as it relates to the eye exam, uh, and then compliance around our different business relationships. So encompasses all of the compliance, quality, we deal with anything that deals with our doctor and examinations. You have a very important role, Preeti, and I'm really glad to hear you talk about some of the day-to-day responsibilities and and really the overarching focus and direction of your department. For many of the listeners today that may or may not be familiar with National Vision, let me just take a moment and kind of help them understand. They'll they'll probably hear it once they once I list a few names. Uh, but for those that may be wondering, who's National Vision? Number one, you guys started 30 years ago, but you are the second largest uh, retail uh, company for optical in the United States. 
Uh, and it's amazing to see the growth that you've had in three decades, right? Like you are now almost, if I'm not mistaken, almost at 1,300 stores across 44 states, including Puerto Rico. And you have a vision to open up 75 new stores every year going forward. So that's that's pretty remarkable in and of itself. Uh, you have about 13,000 members. And when we think about some of the names, again, most people may not automatically connect National Vision to something that they know, but your five major brands that people will instantly recognize uh, are AC Lens, America's Best, Eyeglass World, Vision Center at Walmart, and also Vista Optical, which I believe are located in Fred Myers or Myers Opticals and, and things of that nature. So, you know, when I see, uh, and, and oh, by the way, I could not go further without recognizing how National Vision has recently been added to the S&P small cap 600. Uh, that's pretty, pretty impressive. Really exciting. And it's nice to see all of the growth um, over the last couple of years. I've been with the organization now, what, 12 years and it's evolved. And it's great to be in a space where we're actually helping, uh, you know, people across the country in terms of eye care. So we're pretty excited about that new, you know, new development. Absolutely, man. The success that you guys have had is just like, really, it's hard to find rivals in your space because just of the way that you approach, you know, your mission and your vision and, and how patient care sets, uh, it sets the tone for everything that you do. Uh, and we'll learn more a little bit about, you know, physician practice management and, and how you engage with your uh, uh, healthcare professionals to provide that. But I think that that's really important for the listeners to understand, like when they see America's best, like they may not automatically connect that with NVI or National Vision. Uh, but man, it is just remarkable to see what you're what you're doing in that space. Prithi, you and I have had many conversations in the past, but you know, one of the things that I always like to do, especially on this show, because the purpose of this show is to help give healthcare professionals a platform when they've been able to leverage their clinical experience, their degree, their knowledge, uh, and then bring it to a larger platform or a larger scale, right? You've been one of those instrumental leaders when I think about, you know, who's been able to talk about optometry, not just because from a theoretical perspective, uh, but from a hands-on patient experience and make the lives of patients and providers better. You are one of those people that come to mind. So the thing that's very interesting, and I think I, I think you're the best person to answer this, right? Because when I've had other healthcare professionals come on the show and talk about their stripe of the beach ball or their healthcare discipline. They're very good at about explaining, you know, what the impact they have. Um, and, you know, most of the people probably listening today will agree, but, you know, I would love for you to be able to share with the, with the listening audience today. Like when you think about optometry, like sometimes optometry just gets doesn't get the, the the space that it needs to talk about all the great things that it does, right? Most people just kind of just think, well, yeah, it's, a, it's an afterthought, but it's really not. Uh, and as an optometrist that does what you do, I would love for you to talk about how optometry plays an important role in healthcare as a whole, and not just from a once a year, twice a year, come in, refract, refer, and move forward. Um, you know, share with us a little bit about how you've seen the growth of optometry, the way that it has become really embedded in healthcare as a as a strong force uh, in how people can be managed uh, from a variety of perspectives. Yeah, I mean, gosh, what a great great platform! First of all, thank you for for asking me that question. But in terms of optometry in general, um, our goal and the profession in general is is just to help people in the eye care space, right? There's so many um, Americans across the country who don't have the ability to see a primary care provider, and that's an optometrist. So they come into our offices, to our profession, just for a prescription. Their glasses broke, their contact lens tore, but in reality, optometrists are primary care practitioners, 
and they have the ability to check the entire eye health. This not only helps the mm. consumer, right? The person coming into the door, but it helps the entire healthcare system. So you don't want to bog down your primary care provider and or an ophthalmologist, someone that may not be as versed in that space. And they're able to take care of the patient for a surgical need or another primary care need. So optometry in general is that a solution for consumers in my point of view. And we are able to not only, like I said, take care of eye care, contact lenses, that sort of thing, but we get, we, we get stories every week where our doctors are able to diagnose and see patients that have pituitary adenomas, tumors, you know, different medical conditions, because you actually have the ability to see the patient's blood vessels through the eye, non-invasive, and they're able to get that with a comprehensive exam. So optometry in general, the scope is expanding, which I love in different states. And I think you're going to just see more of that as the years progress, especially post-pandemic. Yeah, I, I, I really hope that, you know, when, when the listeners of this podcast talk to their patients, because the majority of people that listen are either healthcare professionals themselves or healthcare executives. And when they have the opportunity to understand the power that an optometrist holds in terms of being able to facilitate uh, you know, great delivery of patient care, increase access, lower cost to the entire system, you know, I'm seeing how that can you know, start to help people people's gears start to turn and, and really increase an opportunity for, for better partnerships. Prithi, one of the things that, you know, I'm really curious to know about is, you know, from, from, from the growth perspective of national vision, like you have done so much in the last 30 years uh, and the way that I see, you know, all the great things that have been in the news and on your website about how you give back to the community and some of the initiatives that you've taken very recently uh, to be able to, to help, especially in a post-pandemic world. I'd love for you to share with the, with the audience today, maybe a recent success that you are proud of about the, the, the National Vision team? Maybe something that they decided that was not being addressed by other companies or by others in the healthcare space, uh, and they decided to make that a champion, champion that initiative. And I'd love to hear you know, a little bit about like, what it is that sets you apart from other corporate uh, optometry retailers uh, and also like from a retail optometry space that really people should listen and perk up to. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's, gosh, there's so many things that the company does from the philanthropy uh, perspective, not only in the US, but nationally, globally. Um, but the biggest thing I would say is our company is focused on access of care. So access of care, meaning being, ma making our stores accessible for people in communities that are not just in the metropolitan areas, right, the urban places, in rural areas, we want to make sure that there is an optical site, a place where they can have exams when they want them and how they want them, right? At that accessible cost. So I think we have done that pretty well and we'll continue to do that in terms of our new stores that we're opening, um, our doctors providing jobs for not only the professional the optometrist, but the community, because it helps that community. I mean, we've got so many locations where patients um, are underserved, right? There's no other optometrist. And it's hard for them to find transportation to the largest city that's down the street. They have to take, or, or a two hour drive rather, they have to take time off from work. They have to figure out transportation, those types of things. And so the company has done a really nice job of understanding one, their demographic and two, the need, right? Like the need is there. And we know that if we're able to take care of that patient in their market, it's going to only help the community, right? Being able to make sure they get to work, they have access to care, not only for themselves, but their family. 
So National Vision has done a really nice job with that. In terms of larger philanthropy, the company uh, provides so much, not like I said, just not only nationally, but, but globally with different partnerships around the country. We provide eyewear and eye care as needed. The stores are really empowered to be able to provide that at a community level because they know their city better than we do, right? They're, they're there, they see the patients coming in and we empower them to do what's right. And I think that's really helped with our success. That's remarkable. And, and I appreciate you sharing that. You know, one of the things I was just reading, I think in your, your quarterly statement that was just released a few weeks ago is how, um, you know, with the changing economy, with inflation, with all of these factors after, you know, the world is trying to recover from a, from a pandemic. Uh, I love the fact that National Vision is very cognizant of where the direction of the economy is going and how the company is bracing to be able to still provide quality care and services and products for, for a lower socioeconomic population that's going to be impacted very dramatically. Uh, and I think it's probably one of the first companies I've actually seen that has taken that as the initiative. So it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see like, you know, how that will play out uh, in a positive way, because I think that most people are still uh, struggling first and foremost from an access perspective, but then again, from an affordability perspective, like where will they go? Um, I remember having a different optometrist on maybe many, uh, several, maybe a year ago. Uh, and one of the things that I remember distinctly that person saying was, you know, sometimes there is no healthcare provider hundreds and hundreds of miles away from the individuals that live in rural areas. And even then you still have an optometrist that's like 50 some plus miles away. That's their only lifeline. Uh, so it is great to hear, uh, you know, all of these things coming into play and, and all of these things that are setting, setting themselves up for success in a world where it's so volatile. It's so, so volatile. Yeah, I know. I agree. It's just, it's such a big need and it's amazing to work for an organization. It, it, it's just, they do everything they can, right? They give back to the community, they give back to the associates. And I think to your other, you know, to your question there about national vision, it's really about the people and the culture. And so if it wasn't from top down, we wouldn't see that in our stores and in our communities. And so from top down at all levels, we're really focused on the community and our culture. And it's really helped set us aside to be able to deliver on that access of care. Yeah. So Prithi, let's talk about that, right? Like when we think about corporate culture, right, especially from a physician practice perspective, you know, when I think about, you know, how things are set up, you know, you have to be able to create an environment where your staff feels, you know, empowered to be able to share ideas share even in sometimes criticism, but also opportunities for, for creativity, uh, and then have some great dialogue in order to be able to say, well, you know, what do you need and how can we get that for you? What is that like? Maybe you can share with us a little bit of your insights in terms of, you know, working with so many doctors across the country in 44 states. Uh, I'm sure there are unique needs in different parts of the space, uh, in different parts of the country. Um, and your team is responsible for addressing all of the asks, requests, uh, and recommendations. Tell us what that, what that must feel like and how you and your company address and, and bring those tools to play. Yeah, you know, what's what's great about this organization is that all ideas and uh, suggestions, any pushback, all of that's warranted or, or, or uh, welcomed rather. And so we love to hear feedback because that only makes us better. As I mentioned earlier, they're the ones who are in their small markets and communities with the patients, right? They know what their patients need. We don't always know that from our chair. And so gaining that information and feedback only makes us better. And so soliciting that, I mean, we do different surveys. We do uh, a lot of small focus groups. We have uh, doctors on a number of committees that are that support group for us that help us guide where we need to go. 
And, you know, some of the, some of the um, ideas that come out of there are great, right? And it, it, it's for the masses and some of them are just specifically for that small community. So it really just depends on that market and what that general manager needs for that store or what that doctor thinks they need for that, um, in that particular patient. But we always welcome that. It's always hard to sort of get everybody right on the same page with something. But what I love about this organization is we, it may not be the right time now, but it may be in the future, right, to implement something. So it's been a really, it's really nice to have that feedback and that open, you know, circle of communication. Excellent. And I'm sure that that also goes for your opt- uh, for your opticians and your managers. Uh, what is a platform like? Like, is there, because, you know, you and I have worked at the same company before, so I know, you know, how we would solicit that feedback. Sometimes it was in live meetings. Sometimes they were regional, uh, you know, meet and greets. Sometimes they were, you know, online. Um, and I'm assuming that that's probably also very similar with where you are today. Uh, but, you know, are there other ways that, you know, if somebody says at two o'clock in the morning, man, I really have this great idea. And I want Priti and, and her team to know, like, how do they, how do they communicate? Yeah. I mean, all of the forums that you just mentioned are, are there, but we also have um, a system where any associate and doctor can call in. It's called in touch where the doctors can associates, opticians, anyone can leave feedback and it's anonymous. So it's, you know, however they feel comfortable, we are obviously available via phone and email, maybe not at two in the morning, but um, all of those platforms, we have live meetings. We're you know now doing more virtual meetings. But um, we do have a system that they can call and, and leave any feedback, questions, suggestions, ideas, uh, and we review them all. So it's pretty, it's been really well. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I can only imagine like employee engagement and employee retention go hand in hand. And so to be able to get that uh, and to be able to, to lift up great ideas and to address problems that may be unheard of or just not on the radar, it happens all the time. So I'm glad to see that. I'm glad to see that that's how you address that. Preeti, when we think about, you know, optometric practice management today, you know, there's already, you know, an understanding of where the world is, again, post-pandemic uh, and dealing with so much volatility. You know, how do you prepare for what's down the down the road? Like two years from now, I know that we'll be looking at a very different healthcare environment and, and everything will be different, right? Technology will be different. Needs of patients will be different. So many things like how do you envision what the world will be like for, for your company, for others in the, uh, you know, optometry space uh, in 2025, even three years down the road? Yeah, I mean, gosh, if we all had a crystal ball, right? Um, but we we have history to teach us a lot of lessons, I think. Um, optometry in general has not adopted change as quick as other healthcare professionals in my professional view. Uh, and there's a number of reasons why, and I think people have their own sort of perspective on it. But if you look at history, it tells you that you have to adopt technology uh, consumers want healthcare the way they want it, or they're going to go somewhere, or they're going to find a way to get it. And um, we want to make sure that we provide that right the best we can. Um, we want to make sure that our doctors are at the core of our business. You know, optometrists are still at the core of the business for all the reasons I mentioned earlier. And it's important to be able to one understand the technology, see if it fits in our business model with our professionals? And ultimately, is it the way the customer wants to get and the patient wants to get that healthcare? Uh, So if we don't adapt to that, and it's not just true in healthcare, it's in all industries, 
then, you know, it may not be a positive outcome as it's been for us over the 30 last 30 years. Right. So um, having that uh, technology, as well as understanding where the industry is going, I think healthcare in general, there's a lot of development in the tech space. Uh, and we're going to be required to adapt to it and uh, see how it you know, impacts our business. But we'll always be on the forefront. We're looking for what's out there. We monitor different trends and different industry uh, pieces that could be relevant to our space. The key thing is, is we're always going to be focused on the highest quality of care, regardless of anything that comes in, right? Well, there's different pieces in the eye care space that has been there for a number of years. But our, you know, our mission and our, our you know, sort of non-negotiable is providing that highest quality of care. That's really important because I've, we've all seen what happens when people forget or companies forget, you know, what's the most important thing. Uh, and as an individual who not only wears glasses, but also takes care of three other aging adults that have macular degeneration, as well as cataracts and just a variety of, you know, vision issues, uh, you know, every, every visit it's, you know, it's, it's critical for me as a caretaker and a power of attorney to make sure that their vision needs are paramount and that they're addressed the first time. Unfortunately, I've had um, ophthalmologists that have not uh, done that. And so going to an optometrist has actually helped rectify that for both two of the three of my parents. Uh, and so that's why I'm really grateful for, you know, having people like you and the, the, the teams that you have that really place quality of care as their paramount mission driven focus. Uh, that makes a, that's like a huge difference. So thank you for that. Ruthie, we spent a lot of time talking about national vision and you and what you do there, but I want to focus more a little bit on you now. I mean, you've had a, a remarkable career. Uh, today, you serve as both the vice president of physician practice management at National Vision. You are still, if I'm not mistaken, currently the president and CEO of First Sight, uh, which is a subsidiary of National Vision. Before that, you were the director of professional relations and development at Walmart, which is where we met. Uh, you've had some great uh, you know, opportunities to have meaningful impact on a large scale basis. Uh, and you've also served, uh, of course, as a, as a clinician working with patients directly. And so you've had quite a bit of, you know, great experiences along the way. And with each new opportunity that's presented itself, you've been able to leverage your experience and your knowledge and your skill sets uh, and bring it to a larger platform. But I'm sure that that has also, you know, been I don't want to say suspect, but I guess the more the more appropriate way of phrasing that is when the right opportunities were presented to you, you had to probably ask yourself questions that were in line with, does this align with my priorities? You know, what are the benefits that will be gained if I say yes? And what are some of the sacrifices that I'll have to make if I say yes as well? I'd love to learn, especially from a leader of your stature's perspective, you know, what were some of the things that went through your mind before you said yes to saying, you you know, before you agree to moving into the current role that you're in today, were there some challenges that you faced or were there some deeper, meaningful questions that you had to, you know, get valuable insights and feedback from others that were maybe part of your circle of trust or internal board of directors to recognize, would this be a valuable thing for you to say, to move forward with? Yeah. So, I mean, gosh, I think everyone at some point in their career has this crossroads in terms of what they want to do and is it the right fit? And Am I leaving something that could be, that I think is bad, that could be better? You know, you kind of go through this internal debate and talk to your trusted advisors and work through that. And I think for every person is they need to have a list of their non-negotiables, right? So if you have that strong foundation, 
And it doesn't matter how glitzy that job is or, you know, what, you know, whatever that package is in terms of you get to work from Hawaii or, you know, is it remote? You don't have to go into this, into an office. It's, you need to have that foundational base of non-negotiables and work from that. So for me, it was really about the company and the culture. And I'm sure you've heard this phrase and your listeners have probably heard this phrase is that people don't leave companies, they leave leaders, right? So we've probably both heard that many, many times. And so the culture of the company is very important as is the people. And so those were mine and non-negotiables is the culture and the company. The work at, at a certain point, you're already qualified for the work, depending on where you are and you know what you're moving to. You check those boxes, but you can't always, you need to have that fit to make sure that, at least for me, that I would be successful and I would be driven to do what my job is dictating me to do. And so specifically with moving from my previous role with Walmart, where you and I knew each other to this role, um, you know, National Vision was such a, and it is still a dynamic company and the leaders, uh, those cultural values, even with the growth we've had are still present, which is very hard when you grow, right? And uh, it's been, it's been a, a great journey. And I've not really moved on those, those baseline values and uh, what I think is most important for me. And I would just recommend people outline that for themselves because that will help them drive their decision with better clarity. I, I love that. The non-negotiables is so important for, for people today. I think that people can be quickly taken off their course if they are attracted by, again, as you pointed out, right, title, power, status. There's a great book by Malcolm Gold. Uh, is it Malcolm Goldsmith uh, or Malcolm Gladwell? Uh, but it's basically a book that's called like, what got you here won't get you there. And it talks about like these, these five characteristics of how people, you know, define their, their worth. And, and sometimes it's money, sometimes it's title, but, you know, if you are not clear on what constitutes your basis of, of peace, serenity, and, and strength, uh, then you will be thrown off course. So I, I'm glad that you said that. And I'm glad that you were able to always recognize that. Has that ever, I'm, I'm sure that has shifted for you though, right? Like over the course of your life, uh, you know, you've had some, you know, we, we all grow up, right? Like I'm not a 20 year old. I don't have the same values as I did when I was 24, as I am now at, at 51. Uh, but, you know, you know, with each step, right, you probably have to go back to the drawing board it was to ask yourself that question, like, what was important to me five years ago? Is that still as critical today as it was then? So how often do you end up going back to your own drawing board to recognize like, hey, what are the boundaries and what are the non-negotiables for me this year? So if a project is brought to my attention, if an opportunity comes my way, like, what do I have to bounce off of that? Is that something that you do on a regular basis? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a, that's a fair question. I would have to go back to when I first joined the workforce. It was very different then, right? Because you don't, you don't know what you don't know. And every, every position, not necessarily changing employers, but every position you have, you figure out what you like and what you don't like. But what's more important is there's always a baseline of where you are, where you're going to excel and what you love to do. I do agree with you in the sense of reevaluating some of those things because you do evolve. And I wanted to learn um, retail, uh, how retail works when I worked at Walmart, right? 
How does it work from a logistics, like things like that, right? Logistics, how do you merchandise? I wanted to learn how they sorted inventory in a Walmart store. It was very different then. And I, you know, I learned it. It was very um, sort of uh, fascinating to me, but now that doesn't interest me anymore. So you sort of accomplish those things. You're like, you've checked that off. So now what? And so I agree with you. You have to be able to challenge yourself and identify what your next journey is going to be and how you're going to get there and excel in it to be able to master, you know, whatever your goals are for that specific thing. Uh, so I mean, I think that's a fair call out and it's important to, to make sure that you're always self improving yourself and setting those goals for yourself. So it's rare for me to hear that. Uh, and I'm glad to hear it too, because I'm that way. I think that there's a time and a place for something, right? It's never, once you've established something that you say you want to do and you've achieved maybe even 80% of it and you feel comfortable, it's not necessary to go back and make that the, a pillar of, of who you are. You can say, you know what, this was good. For the time frame that I did it, I learned, I grew, I've, I'll leverage it in some other capacity, but I don't need to stay here. And I'm glad that uh, I'm glad to find a kindred spirit that also shares that same philosophy. Makes you well-rounded. <laughs> 100%. We'll be right back after this short break. Prithi, you know, along the way, we have a lot of individuals. They pave the way for us. They really take us under their wing and they give us an opportunity to either showcase our strengths or maybe even just develop us or open doors. Are there people in your in your life that you would like to acknowledge on the show for maybe something that they did that they may not even be aware of? These could be mentors or sponsors, because I know that my success is not attributed to anything I've done. It's because of other people. Um, and so if you have those people that you would love to talk about and, and how they helped you, that would be wonderful to hear about them. Yeah, you know, there are so many people. <laughs> that have helped me along the way. I completely agree with you. You can't do this alone. And uh, I would just kind of share a little story here. As you, as you know, I'm, I'm an optometrist. I saw patients for a number of years and uh, did a residency. And I decided to take this leap and get, you know, go into corporate America. And the person that took a chance on me to open that door is why I'm here today. So the leadership and the development that the whole group of folks actually took a chance in saying this practicing optometrist, I see something more and I'm willing to spend the time to develop and put resources through and, and take a risk has, was one of the most um, impactful things now reflecting back, right? Because as, you, as you're going through it, you only appreciate you, or I shouldn't say only appreciate, but you see clearer after the fact, after you've lived something. So it's not just one person. I think it was a number of individuals throughout my career because people have not only taken a risk on me, but have spent time and resources and been a sounding board to help me get to where I'm at right now, especially in times where things aren't necessarily going my way, right? They're there, they're available to provide honest feedback and support that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And so there's so many individuals at Walmart, but I didn't want to just name one because they all held a special place in my heart for different things uh, and has really just helped me and, and so many individuals at National Vision as well, inside of Optical, as well as outside, 
I would just recommend that when you do know that someone's helped you reach out to them and let them know where you're at. Right. I just want to let you know, you helped me with this and it, it only makes them say, okay, I can do this for other people. You want to share the love. You want to share that they can go out and be that mentor for someone else and be that sounding board for someone else. But I think it's uh, I think it was a great, uh, a great opportunity to be exposed to so many people. And I hope to do that for others as I'm, you know, getting older in my career and new optometrists are coming into the profession because frankly, there wasn't leadership roles for optometrists when I started in the, in, in the corporate optometry. And I now have optometry students, residents, people that are first, second year practicing ODs reach out to say, how did, you know, can you help me? What do you think what's happening? And I love that because we want to, we want to nurture and grow these young optometrists to be leaders in our industry and do better and bigger things than I have ever done. So it's been really rewarding from that perspective. And I just, I want more optometrists to be in leadership roles. And I'm sure they absolutely will. And that's certainly listening to you. They will probably reach out to you and ask you to be their mentor as well. And I'm sure you're very open to that. Love it. Yes. Now, Preeti, one of the things I've always told my guests is that you are always welcome to thank as many people as you want, but you got to come to the show with at least one or two names of people and the stories of why they are important to you. So I'm going to have you have you share at least one or two people by name and the story. It can be at Walmart or before Walmart. Okay, I will share. There's so many people. There's so many people, but I will tell you. How did how did your how did your love for corporate optometry or retail optometry begin? Who was one person that planted that seed for you? Yeah, I mean, it it would be it would be Mark Travis, actually. So he's an optometrist uh, and he really um, guided me through the whirlwind of corporate America for the largest retailer in the world, right? And uh, me being such a novice person in the space, I mean, he was just like, it's okay, breathe, right? And just having that support and having someone reassure that this is normal, it means so much. And so he, I mean, he definitely paved the way in many ways when it came to all of the dealings with corporate America, the leadership skills, the uh, sounding board and the advice that I sometimes didn't solicit that he would just give me because he knew that I needed to take it. And I really appreciate it. So I would say that uh, he he definitely helped in terms of my career and where I am today. Outstanding. You got it out of me. I got it out of you. Well, hey, I'm the host. I have to do that. But I'm glad that you said that. And I remember, Mark, I remember working with him very briefly uh, but yeah, I can definitely see all of the leadership qualities that you've described in just a few moments I had with him. Uh, and I think I may have met him in Colorado when we were touring a, a particular factory. I'm not 100% sure, but certainly, you know, I remember him well. Uh, Preeti, I know that you're very, you know, well situated at National Vision. There are so many things that you've done over the course of your career with them. What's next on your legacy list? Like, what do you want to do in the next 12 or 18 months uh, with National Vision that you've kind of charted out a course for yourself? I say, you know what, there's so much that's happening, but I really want to be involved in this. And this is, you know, I by the time 2024 begins, I, I want to say that because of the work that my team and I have done, or maybe that I've started that we were able to achieve this. What's next for you? Yeah, gosh, you know, we work on so many things at NVI and um, 
it would really be around the quality of the exam is my team and myself are very passionate. The entire company is very passionate about making sure that the examination that happens in our offices is the highest quality. And so we have a number of initiatives around that because frankly, I mean, it's, it's the right thing to do. Patients deserve it. And our doctors want to deliver that quality of care. So along those lines, in terms of setting the metrics up, setting our different audit programs up, having, having a more systematic fashion of monitoring it beyond what we already have is where we're going to be in 2024 and having actionable data to, to enhance positive outcomes. So that's what I want to be able to say. We have positive outcomes now, but how do we continue to elevate that? Because that's only going to help the entire healthcare system is if we're able to, one, not only diagnose the eye-related issues, but some systemic as well, because it'll help with the entire process. So that would be the biggest thing in my point of view around quality of care and making sure that, again, it's accessible and that we're able to, to provide that high standard. I'm excited to see what uh, publications come out of your research and that. I mean, I know a lot of companies are investing a lot of time and money into finding the right tools and the right people that can help not just gather the data, but of course, analyze it in a meaningful way and make it, you know, help help companies use it in the right manner. Uh, and so I'll be excited to see what comes out of that in the next few years and very, very much missing you a lot of success in that space as well. Okay, thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Preeti, when you think about, you know, as being a leader, like you have a lot of responsibility, right? And I'm, and I'm very grateful for whenever somebody says yes to being on the show, because, you know, we not only talk about the company and the great things that it does, we talk about your professional journey, but as a leader, you also have a personal responsibility to help continuously develop your team, to bring on new people with different talents and different skills, uh, and then, you know, both sad and glad to help promote people that are on your team that have like maxed out in their space so that they can help other departments and uh, within the organization or or just within the industry. So whenever I you know have leaders that come on, I always ask them a couple of questions. And one of the questions I ask is not only for your team, but for yourself, we are always looking to develop ourselves uh, and help ourselves grow, whether that's from a, a professional development uh, process, uh, perspective or even from a personal growth perspective. So my question for you, Prithi, is like, what's on your nightstand? What are you devouring now in terms of either uh, leadership development for your own self or personal growth that you would want other people to be aware of? Uh, and maybe just go, you know, watch on YouTube or buy it from a bookstore or, or go to the library. How are you growing and what are you recommending to others to help them in their growth? Yeah, I mean, gosh, there's so many different um, media outlets now, right? When I first got into corporate America, it was basically just books. So we're very lucky in this age to have podcasts like what you have right now. We have YouTube, as you mentioned, we have, you know, the old fashioned book, which I do love because it's something about holding a book. But recently, actually, and this is a classic is I went through the emotional intelligence uh, questionnaire again. Are you familiar with that? Yes. Emotional, I mean, it's the it's, same authors of Strength Finder, correct? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, I feel as though right now we need more emotional intelligence than ever in corporate America and in society in general. And it's just the concept is, is easy. It's, it's making sure that your rational side of your brain and your emotional side of your brain speak. Right. You don't want to act too irrationally or irrationally. You don't want to act too emotionally. 
it breaks it down in your social sort of competence and your personal competence. And it can fluctuate depending on what's going on at home, what's going on in society, what's going on at work. And so I actually redid the survey. I don't necessarily recommend it, but I did just to see how my score had changed from, I think it was like 10 years ago that I actually did it. Now there's like a 2.0 or 4.0 or something to that effect. But I believe that we need to be more emotionally intelligent, not only at home, but in the corporate workforce and to understand our emotions. And I know that's not always accepted in corporate America, but it really makes you a better rounded person to have and be self-aware of the way you make decisions and the way it impacts people. And so I've been um, more focused on the actual um, personal competence of that. Um, I've, it's interesting because before I was more, more personally competent than socially competent and it's sort of switched. And uh, so I've been just, you know, doing some of the exercises, reading some of those articles to make sure that I'm more well-rounded in that space. And it's, it's helped because I'm like, oh, wow, I think I would have acted this way, but I'm getting better outcomes, right? Because I now I'm more aware in general. I, I had no idea that an individual's emotional intelligence level could change. And, I, and I'm, I'm sure it probably makes sense when you think about it. Like we all, at some point we face some sort of event, life event, you know, marriage, funeral, whatever it may be, uh, the death of a loved one or the birth of a new child. Um, but I just never thought about going back and taking the test. I just assumed that what I had was what I had. So now you've got my gears uh, spinning. I'll have to no, go back and check that out. To your, to your comment, and I did have a child in between when I took it to now. So I, so then I went through, I'm like, what has changed? But it's, it's really about being self-aware and understanding why you act a certain way, because it's only going to help, especially when you're leading a team and you're involved with so many different um, organizations, as well as different departments and things like that, you're able to just be more effective. Excellent. Thank you for that. And Prithi, then the other question I have is usually like when you're looking to bring people on board uh, to your team or bringing them into the organization, um, you know, you're, you're looking at certain qualities that an individual displays during a conversation, an interview, uh, where you're able to determine if this person's not just a good cultural fit, but if they're the right person to be able to add to your team's strengths. Um, how do you determine what those are? Like, what, what are three qualities or three characteristics that when you're speaking to somebody, your mind is thinking, yes, this, this person would actually do well, if not with me, then with my friend over in the other department, but national vision. Yeah. We would benefit from having this person be a part of our organization. Yeah. You know, the, the number one sort of leadership quality, and I've not really, this has been number one for me for a long time is being adaptable. Everything is changing so quickly and you have to have that level of adaptability to be successful and to be able to say, all right, I'm going to think of another way to make this project happen. I need to adjust this and not being rattled about it. So I always look for someone that's adaptable. And we ask, I ask specific questions and examples just, just to dry out because people say they're adaptable, but when your budget's cut or, you know, something happens, you have to be very, very, uh, you know, innovative as it comes to delivering on uh, your, you know, your deliverables. But so adaptable would be my number one. Uh, the second one I would say is really around taking initiative. It's being self-driven. I really believe just, as I mentioned, emotional intelligence is understanding and motivating yourself is only going to make you a better person. It makes the whole team a better person. So 
taking initiative is, is, is definitely key, being creative, not being told what to do, um, proactive. Those are all really positive characteristics and it helps motivate people around you when you're, when you're proactive and take that initiative. Uh, and then the third one, and you know, I could, I was thinking of, of two, but the third one is, is just being a kind and genuine person. I think that has probably not has, has had as much weight 20 years ago, even 15 years ago. Uh, and I believe if you're a kind and genuine person, you're going to be a right fit and you're going to be able to be more successful than to be a, you know, someone that is not as approachable. So that's been a new one for me. I mean, you know, you always want someone kind and fun and, but in the last probably five to seven years, I'm looking for that more as well. How do you determine that in a conversation? I mean, you know, again, like you pointed out, right? People can say they're adaptable, but then when you ask the right questions, you're able to say, no, not really. But now let me ask that like from a kind perspective, like, well, I'm just curious, like what kind of questions would you ask to say, yeah, you're really genuine when you say, when, when, when I think you're kind. Yeah, no, you know, and some of it's a perception too, right? And when you ask specific questions about how they work with a team and what their interactions were, you can sort of pick up on how they treat their employees, how they treat their peers and what they would do in certain situations. It's not always about getting results. I know I said that out loud, but it's not always about getting results. And if you're going to, you know, roll over somebody to, to get that, to get that project done, then it's, it's just, you can, you can sort of extrapolate that, but it's, it's more of a difficult uh, piece to get out of people, but you, you know, conversation, unfortunately we don't do as many lunches anymore, but being in more of a casual atmosphere, you can sort of pick up on that, but how they interact with their team, their peers, um, their family, if they divulge that, but, you know, obviously it just depends on how much the candidate wants to share. Yeah, it's really remarkable to hear what some companies and what some CEOs have done. Like, I don't know if you ever read any of the, the articles that are out there on Forbes or Inc., uh, but they talk about like how CEOs will take a candidate out for, for, for lunch or for dinner. They take them to a specific restaurant and they have like a, an understanding with the waiter, which is like, I want you to mess up this person's order. No matter what they order, just bring it to them. And it's got to be totally wrong because then they can watch and they can say, yeah, you know what? You are the right guy or the wrong guy or the right girl or the wrong girl because you can't treat people badly and it doesn't matter who they are, uh, but you'll it see. Doesn't matter who they are. I love that one. I love that story as well. Excellent. Very, very good. Really, you know, you've been, you've been so insightful and you've shared so many great pearls of wisdom along the way. I always ask my guests, like if you could share one final piece of advice to people that are looking to advance their career or to position themselves for something greater, what would that advice be? And this could be even for you going back in time to talk to your younger self. Like, what would you tell your younger self? Riti, don't worry, everything is going to be fine. Just make sure you keep doing this. Yeah, you know, the number one advice I would give to someone is to be humble. It doesn't matter what level you are at, you should still be able to do what a store associate does in the stores and be able to walk in their shoes. I think it's very important to understand what they go through in a specific position, regardless if you are doing something different. So making sure you're able to walk in their footsteps from a day-to-day -day perspective and not thinking that you are too good to check out somebody at a store, right? For example, 
it's you're only as successful as the folks that are in the front lines and making sure that you're humble and being kind and genuine, as I mentioned, is, is going to take you a long way. It's, it's just something that I always strive to do because you can get so wrapped up in all the deliverables you have at your level, but just thanking someone when you're visiting an office, visiting a doctor, uh, making sure that you appreciate what they do and really listen and understand. It's one thing going and saying thank you, but like, help me understand what you do today, right? They're heard. And that sense of humility and that sense of appreciation goes a really long way because you never know what will happen. And these, these folks, you know, they, they're work, they work really hard. I think it's important to always be connected at that level with them. Yeah. I, I could not agree with you more. The, the simple act of gratitude and kindness goes so far in both perception as well as, you know, in, 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 in support, right? If you are going to ask somebody to do something and they don't know who you are, or they've never seen you in action, uh, there's less of a likelihood that they'll buy into it just because you have a title. But when they Agreed. see you like, why is this guy sweeping the floor? Why is this guy stocking the shelves? Like, he's a VP or she's a CEO or CNO or whatever. Yeah, it does make a big difference. It's similar. I'm not sure if you know that show. Um, it's called Undercover Boss. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. But No, it's so funny. I just saw that show while I was on vacation. They had the, uh, the boss from Bolero on uh, and they were, you know, giving some, some very interesting examples of like, you know, what she saw. But yeah, I love that show. And it's a, it's a great way to be able to really get under, you know, get under the hood of what, how the company's working, but who's working the company. Yeah, and that's, that's yeah. really important. Absolutely. Beautiful. But I'm so grateful you said yes. So happy to have had you on the show today. I'm wishing you and National Vision much success in the future with all the great things that you have planned. And as always, I look forward to seeing you continue to take healthcare to a higher level. Thank you so much. Congratulations on this. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Healthcare and Hire podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to follow and subscribe for more. I'm your host, Iqbal Acha, and I invite you to connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Let me know what you thought about this episode or my show in general. Also, visit me at www.achainternational.com to learn more about how I help healthcare professionals and healthcare leaders advance their career, build a better brand, and create a leadership legacy. I'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, let's keep working to take healthcare to a higher level.